1: Today, we chat
2: with five-star eventer and horse trainer, Tick Maynard, about the differences between spooky and anxious horses and how you can help them. We speak with Andy Belfiore from Take the Lead about their unique retirement program and their sister program, Take Two. And last but not least, we're joined by Leander Cooper to bring you another training tip and introduce our Adoptable Horse of the Week. Stay tuned.
3: And they're off on Retired Racehorse Radio, the podcast that is your guide to the adoption, care, and training of the Retired Racehorse.
1: This is Joy Orr in Detroit, Michigan. And this is Kristen Kovach-Bentley in Jamestown, New York, and you're listening to Retired Racehorse Radio. We made it through January. We made it through the darkest month.
2: We and did. It it. Really the, good.
1: January's a marathon. I always forget. January I'm is like,
2: exhausting. Oh. Like... She needs to take a break. She needs to go through some self-reflection and realize the psychological damage that she causes everyone. (laughs) If you cannot tell, I am (laughs) overwinter.
1: Yeah, I thought about it last night. So we went for a little dog walk after I was done the horse chores and I was like, Oh, February's is not like it was January 31st last night. So, hello, everyone. It's February 1st when we're recording happy this. Happy February. Uh, first. <laughs> happy February. Hooray. Um, but it was light enough to go for a dog walk after barn chores is what I'm getting at. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, I forgot. Like February's nice. Like, I mean, it's not nice. It still sucks, but it's, it's so cold. Like, the days are longer. Like it's yeah. long enough that I can bundle up and go for a walk or a snowshoe. Like this year, it's it going to be a walk. Dark at, like
2: 445. I'm like, oh. We're making. Yeah, it like- I drove home
1: today. You know, I did my farm tours early so we could record. But I drove home in sunglasses. That was nice. That's an achievement. That is some positivity right there. Yeah, it's happening. So it's happening. New month, new goals. What are you hoping to achieve this month? And it's okay if the answer is nothing. Also, oh no, no, no. There. I I
2: have goals because I'm. I can't share it yet, but I will share it on my social channels as soon as I'm able to, but there is something mm. happening outside of Retired Race Horse Radio. It's personal for me, but I have to like get serious about my training to a degree because I need my horse to be a civilized part of society. And I also need to have my stuff together too. So fitness is a big goal for us for February and manners. I mean, she has mostly manners, but she's... Mm, mildly feral for winter. <laughs> it's fair. So it's fine. Ast- Astrid's gonna probably move into a stall. Uh she's been on pasture board for the last year. So we're gonna have an adjustment period, but to get her a little bit more prep for off sites, feel a little bit more comfortable in a trailer, we're just gonna move her into a stall and she'll still have plenty of turnout for anyone who's ready to come after me about that. <laughs> Um. <laughs> actually in the summer months, they pretty much only come in to eat. We try to keep them out as much as possible. So we do have plenty of turnout at my barn. So she'll be out most of the day, but just to come in to make sure she's kind of got that safe spot at night, get her grain. Cause I do have her on supplements, KPP, if you're wondering and uh, yeah, it's going to just help get her in a place where we can start thinking about doing some offsites, sites and clinics and shows this year and some other hopefully exciting things that I can't wait to share with you.
1: What about you? Mm, that is exciting. Yeah. And well, that transition from like full turnout to stall can be really tough when they haven't done it yes. for a while. So that's really smart that you're doing that now and not at your first horse show this year. <laughs> so, no, no, no. I don't need any breakouts or yeah, just yeah. Oh, I had, had to physically <laughs> wrestle Jobber at the horse park for his makeover year because he yes. was just like he was over it like yeah. immediately. So that's actually, that's how I met um, Tony, who I purchased Shorty from oh. because she was unloading her trailer and I physically was wrestling Jobber back down the barn aisle, like in a half Nelson. And I was like, hi, do you have a lead rope? And she just looked at me and was like, oh, okay. So it was See, fun. sometimes being that girl there. leads to some amazing opportunities. Yeah. I mean, I was like, look, if this horse hits this cross country field, he's gone. So. There uh, the stakes were high, so decisions were made. It was fine. I just, I just like physically drug him back to his stall without a, <laughs> a strap on him. It was fine. So speaking of Jabber being you feral, less on him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Just like to wrestle my horse every day. It's really, it's great. Uh, Jabber is probably going to stay pretty feral in February unless the weather gets real cool real fast. Mm-hmm. um just because like it was nice yesterday. So they got a little extra turnout. So they live out, but they're in a small dry lot. So when I can, I let them out into a bigger area where they can at least, you know, fart around and stretch mm-hmm. their legs and kick each other in the face and whatever else they do with their stuff. Whatever geldings um, do. Yes. Yeah. It's mostly just shorty and jobber rearing like a lot. And I just try not to look very closely and <laughs> just check every now and then make sure everyone has all their legs on. Um, so, but that froze up again overnight. So, I still can't, I can't even turn them out. So, today, Jobber and I went for a very fun walk. And that's probably about all we're going to be doing through February, unless it gets really warm. And if it gets really warm, that all that does is put us back into like the tracks and the gravel mine and going out and bothering cows. So, I
2: know. It's February like will spring still be is not an exciting time when you live in the north, like really no. until you get to May, like end of April, May that's our celebration period. So for everyone who lives down South, I'm happy for you. I love that for you. Don't tell me about your weather. Don't tell me that it's chilly for you. Don't do that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We have some uh, like cattle maintenance stuff coming up. That'll start to give us the sense of some seasons. So nice. we did a round of vaccines last weekend and we'll do a round of dewormer next weekend. And then in March, I can't wait we'll for your start. calf season. Cause I want to see the baby. Yeah. Cows. Oh, there will be lots of beebs. So everybody can get wait, excited for that. For yeah. You guys spam. let us know if you guys <laughs> want to see baby cow spam on the retired racehorse radio social, They will not be retired racehorses, but they will be baby cows. So you write in and tell us if that's what you want to see. I will give the people what they want. So yay cows or nay cows. I will. Let us know. Do as the audience commands.
2: Well, Chris, I also love on our social, if you haven't seen it yet, I know this will be a little bit of time. So you might do some digging on our social, but you did a great post asking other people what they want to do for their February goals. And it was nice to see some people having it. It also seems like people are getting their horses to be less feral. Like that seems to be the trend of like (laughs) anti-feral February is kind of what this month is looking like.
1: Yeah, that's definitely what this month should be called. Yeah. So uh, our friend Lee Beamer with Finn, hotgirlsummer.ottv, she said, I'm hoping to slowly reintegrate Finn back into society with a few outings and lessons. Also hoping it stays dry so I can ride more. Same. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's see. Dewey's mate ex-racehorse commented, get back on board after Dewey having a winter holiday since November. Excellent plan. That's a good time to do that. I know this isn't social segment, guys,
2: but I just, I love that. We're all celebrating our. We are happy for you. Supportive, yeah,
1: yeah. So we're celebrating with you. Let's see, Rochelle so, like, comments. More feral fall. We're going right. Feral February. Feral yeah, <laughs> February. Um, let's see. Rochelle comments, hoping to keep up three rides a week and continuing to bond. This is a lovely horse that Rochelle has. Everybody, go to Facebook and look at this beautiful dapple gray. Mm-hmm. And Rebecca has added practicing more liberty work to gain a great connection. That's an excellent <laughs> winter goal. That's a great goal. All right. Well, you guys are inspiring me to try to get creative and get my horses out. So thank you listeners for chiming in on one.
2: And you know, on top of that too, with February and all the new work coming in, we're focusing on our fitness, we're focusing on health and with health becomes our supplements and what we feed our horses. And you know, who's looking out for your horses, our premier sponsor, KPP. So check out this ad from them. We love them so much. Thanks for supporting the show. (music)
0: This Nutrition Minute is brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products, the company that simplifies your search for research proven nutritional supplements at kppusa.com.
4: If you've ever had a horse with diarrhea, you know what a frustrating problem it can be. Finding an ingredient that works to dry up the diarrhea becomes a high priority. It turns out that researchers have found one, a yeast called Saccharomyces boulardii. It has been proven to improve and halt episodes of diarrhea. It supplies specific nutrients to the lining of the small and large intestines, and these nutrients promote healing of irritated tissues.
0: Well, Kristen,
2: I had the pleasure to interview Tick Maynard. He was amazing. I wish you could have been there, but Tick is very difficult to catch sometimes, but he is fantastic when you do have him. For those who don't know Tick Maynard, he's a trainer, coach, clinician, and international level rider who's combined his love of eventing with horsemanship training. He has competed at the five-star level in eventing and as a member of the U.S. equestrian team. And he runs his farm, Copper Lion Farm in Florida with his wife. And if Tick wasn't as impressive enough, he's also an author. He has a book in the middle of the horseman. And while in this interview, we're learning more about his masterclass on the anxious and spooky horse. If you want to learn a little bit more about Tick personally and his journey, you can check out his episode on our sister show, Stalin's Stable. It's episode 19. And You can learn more about him there. But for now, let's dive into this interview on the spooky and anxious horse. Well, Tick, welcome to Retired Racehorse Radio. I feel like we are way overdue to have you on this show, but it's great to
5: have you today. Thank you very much. I'm uh, excited to be here.
2: We're excited to have you. And I'm mostly excited about with so many of our listeners who either already have a thoroughbred or standardbred in their home, or they're looking to adopt. There's there's some stereotypes about ex-racehorses that they can be a little flighty, a little looky, and a little explosive sometimes, but you have an amazing masterclass with Noel Floyd about the difference between the spooky and anxious horse and how to handle them. So I would love to just offer our listeners, how would you define a spooky horse and an anxious horse?
5: Well, first of all, let me just start by saying that that masterclass I filmed a couple of years ago. And if anything (laughs) I say today uh, contradicts what I said then. My apologies. Isn't um, that
2: the evolution though of learning and training? Like, <laughs> well, that's, it's just that's, a given.
5: That's, <laughs> that's, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It, you're exactly right. Is that um, you know they call these things master classes, but to me that's like more marketing. I mean, nobody nobody's really like a master until they're like in their sixties or seventies. You know, like my ideas and my training techniques and my understanding still evolves. I think a lot every single year, like, you know, so if if, if I do something different than I did last year, hopefully I'm just doing it in a better way or a new way that I found or, or something else. So that's, that's the kind of warning I'll give right at the beginning of this talk. And then, you know, to do with spooky and anxious horses, I, I think of spookiness more, I guess, behavioral, more something that is a reaction in the moment to something. Spookiness can also be fairly genetic Uh, I was talking to somebody at UF here in Florida, University of Florida in Gainesville, and they're actually now doing studies where they can look at a horse's genetics and sort of predict how spooky they're going to be. And they foresee a time in the the future when you could take a a blood test of a horse before you buy it to see sort of how spooky that horse is genetically. Now, of course, the genetics only determine, just like with people, a small part of how that horse turns out. A lot of it is you know, how they're raised and what their experiences are and stuff like that. And then anxiety is, I think of more, as opposed to something that's acute and in the moment, I think of of more something that is more longer lasting, like Mm -hmm. something that lasts, for example, the whole ride or the whole four days at a horse show. Mm -hmm. Um, And unfortunately, all too often, uh, an anxiety that, that lasts even longer than that in terms of months and sometimes even years where the horse develops you know ulcers and other other things that manifest physically in the horse because of their stress and I think most mammals have evolved in, in, able to deal much better with acute stress mm-hmm. than chronic stress you know the, the ability of like for example a, a prey animal to outrun you know a predator and then You know, like a cheetah is chasing down a you know an antelope, and the antelope runs away, and it experiences this burst of stress. But then it outruns it and goes back to the herd, and its its stress level comes back, and able is able to fit back into the herd. And those animals don't hold on to it the same way that an animal like that's not used to being in a cage, for example, and then is put in a cage out of nowhere, and they're separated from their friends, and they start pacing back and forth, and they develop, you know anxiety and ulcers that is kind of consumes their maybe on a lower level than being chased by a tiger but it it consumes their their day entire day almost and um and that turns into like what i would call anxiety like a deep seated yeah. anxiety
2: i think a lot of our listeners and myself included can easily sympathize with that just as a as humans we tend to be very stressed we can put ourselves in stressful situations and i think we know the difference of when it's just a moment Versus when it's starting to bother you for the whole day, it affects how you eat, how you sleep, how you interact with others. So it it really is. I mean, we always say stress is the number one cancer for humanity, but I think the same can be applied for our horses.
5: Yeah. Like imagine a person, imagine if you're out there and you have the stress of one weekend a month of competing in your sport, like whether it's a riding competition or. Um you know a football game or a basketball game, or you've got an exam and you got to study for two days and you take the exam and you've got that stress and it lasted maybe for a day or two, but then it's done. Imagine the stress versus like every single month for the last two years you struggle to pay your rent on time and you've got two kids or something like that like that is a stress that just takes over your life,
2: yeah absolutely uh it's like it's something. I think I've been forced to think about more. So and you can tell me if I'm wrong here. I personally think I have an anxious thoroughbred. Um, just her behaviors. She's easily feeding off of the room. We can go from zero to 100. And it's, it's that entire ride. Like it can be everything from the moment I pull her out of the pasture to when we go back. It, it's always this intensity of waiting to go into fight or flight at any moment. So I've had to really learn to channel my energy work on breathing. Despite what you may say of that masterclass being a few years ago, it has really helped me in building a relationship with my horse of trust. But as you know, a rider thinking about this, if we were to create two personalities in these horses, what's like the easiest indicators to say my horse is probably spooky or my horse is anxious?
5: I guess it would be how often you you experience that in your horse. Like if you take your horse and you pull them out of the, out of the um, attic and you feel like that horse is pacing quickly ahead of you, like they can't stop. They have to keep moving and then you get to the cross ties or wherever you brush them and saddle them and you put them there and they, you know, they, they want to kind of keep moving or they switch yeah, their tail or their mouth is a little anxiously moving. And then you go out to the arena and they're like sort of, drawn back to the herd or back to the ingate and then when you want to stand they kind of don't want to stand maybe they don't want to even eat grass uh and lower their head they're kind of looking around constantly their movements are more abrupt rather than smooth you know that's a horse that's that's got a what i would call like they're they're anxious mm. um if you've got a horse that's spooky, maybe they're maybe they can stand quietly maybe they're relaxed most of the time and then when you go out um, into the arena or on the trail, all of a sudden they see something they haven't seen before and they they want to stop suddenly or they want to spin suddenly or they want to stop and back up suddenly or they, they raise their head suddenly and look off into the distance and they have to take that in and they need the time to take it in. Now, the best thing to do, we're jumping ahead a bit—is the best thing to do, but the best thing to do is to give them the time to take it in so they get used to those things. You know, what I think the last thing you want, you in my opinion, you want to do is, is all of a sudden they're scared of something like a cow off into the distance. And then all of a sudden you close your leg on them and give them a big kick and you drive them forward towards that thing that they're scared of. Mm. And, and then they're going to, you know, then all of a sudden there's, even if they go, even if they're, you know, in quotation marks an obedient horse, their stress level is going to start to rise and rise. And at some point it's going to overwhelm them. Um, and that will manifest either usually. in kicking out of your leg or spinning and going the other way or stopping or stopping and refusing to go forward or rearing or bucking or, um, you know, in some way like that.
2: Mm, gotcha. So, I mean, I feel like that makes it pretty clear for any of our listeners who might, cause I feel a lot of times and we just did an episode about this. Sometimes we, um, we coddle the horses or we want to always imagine there are there's these helpless beings and, Like, oh, my horse is anxious. My horse is anxious. Is it possible that spookiness is just even an evasive technique? Like some horses use speed. Some horses don't move at all. Different ways of being evasive.
5: You know, I've heard the word evasive, like the horses evading the bit or the horses Mm -hmm. evading that. Personally, I never use the word evasive. Um, To me, like I, I would use a word like the horse is telling you something like the horse Mm. is telling you that something
2: is uncomfortable uh, or wrong.
5: They're they're not okay. They're not okay with something. Yeah. 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 Like they're not okay with something. And um, I mean, a lot, this brings me to kind of a bigger picture, kind of philosophical thing is a lot of people think about horses in terms of dominant versus submissive or Mm -hmm. obedient, or people think of horses as alpha or not, or you got to be in charge or you got to be the leader or the follower. And I understand all of those. And I even enjoy listening to people that talk about those that are knowledgeable about it. But personally, that's not the way that I think about it. Like in my mind, I never really think of a horse as dominant or not, or pushy or not, or a jerk or not, or, 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 or whatever. Like in my mind, it's really all just like, this is, it's more like a relationship and it's more like this is a behavior I want, or this is a behavior I don't want. Mm -hmm. And in my mind, and I'm not saying like I'm some like saint that can do this with like all situations with like people or dogs or anything, but it's just the way that my mind works with horses is I'm never thinking anything a horse does. I'm not using any of those emotionally charged adjectives that would make a lot of people feel like that, feel like taking it personally. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And whenever you say something like the horse is being a jerk or the horse is evading, to me, those are all words that if I'm teaching a clinic, I originally unconsciously, but now consciously avoid because I think a person is more likely to take it personally when you say something like that.
2: I love that you said that. So I, I very much agree with you, even with my own students, I encourage them if their horse is doing And typically, they're they're young kids riding, the horse goes to the middle of the arena or picks the gates they want to go to, etc. We never use they're taking advantage or they're, you know, bullying you. It's always been this is a partnership. You know, I remind them they have the emotional IQ of a four year old and a lot of them have siblings. And so we break it down in that regards but the biggest thing is you have not communicated your needs or shown how to be a leader for them. So they take it yeah. to their own hands. Yeah. It's not a bad thing. It's not personal. They're just, they're just doing their own thing. Yeah. So I, I love yeah. that you said that because some people think I'm very woo woo for thinking that tick.
5: <laughs> no, I don't. I mean, to me, it's not woo at all. To me, things that are woo are things that are like, you know, like witchcraft or things that like, yeah. that there's no scientific reason for. I mean, to me, this is like a very, real obvious thing that I see every day. It's not like you're talking about aliens here. It's like, this is like something that just, if you just look for it on even like any kind of level, you're just gonna see it happening all the time. And when you see people talking about horses that are, you know, they, you know, like people use the word jerk or things like that worse. Like right away, as soon as the vast majority of people use a word like that right away, there's like a a difference in their adrenaline or their body Mm -hmm. language. Whereas, like, if you've got a puppy that's like misbehaving, or a little human baby that is like one year old and is like crawling over to to, to touch something they're not supposed to be, like you don't say that baby's being a jerk. Like no. you're like, oh, like it, it's a yeah. baby, like it doesn't know. It like, doesn't know any different. The same like, with your horse. Yeah. Like,
2: they don't know what yeah. you're asking. They're hoping that you're gonna communicate it effectively.
5: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, totally. so
2: great. Well, then I'll jump into my next question here, going back to spooky and anxious horses. We're well aware there's no quick fix for any of these things. I think in horse training alone, there's no quick fix for really anything, but how, what are some things people can start to do differently to help their spooky horse? And then we'll move on to the anxious horse. Cause I feel like they're a little different.
5: Yeah. So with the spooky horse, I mean, there, there's lots of little chicks. I'd say the first piece of advice I'd give you is, is to start to be start to be aware of your horse's adrenaline level and stress level, and and get really good at reading your horse. Like if you're on the ground, to be able to watch your horse's eye, watch their neck, watch how quick they're walking, watch their tail. If you're riding, watch how high or low their head is, watch if their rhythm changes, watch if you start to feel their heart rate. Um, and then start to notice patterns with where that horse is. Is that horse doing that by the in-gate? Is it doing it by a certain jump? Is it doing it when it goes away from the group? Is it doing it when it goes towards the water jump or the liver pool? And with the things that the horse is spooky about, what you want to do is you want to encourage them or allow them in a way to start to be curious and confident about it. So if they're already curious, that's great. You, you give them the time to sniff it and, and smell it rather than just hurry them through it or over it. Um, and if they're not confident, I would really encourage people to change their mindset with getting a horse. You know, like let's say your horse doesn't want to go over a jump or over a tarp or a Liverpool or through the water at a cross country facility or into a corner of the arena. Most people, their mindset is I want to get my horse over that or through that or to that. And instead of that, that mindset, what I would encourage you to think is, I want to get my horse confident about that thing. Mm -hmm. And then right away, you're starting to change the timeline and how you approach it. And I would compare it almost to like, if you've got a person that doesn't know, say you've got some kid or even an adult, and they don't know how to swim, you're not going to take them and push them in the deep end. And then when they go to scramble out, step on their fingers, you know, what you're going to do is you're going to take them there, and you're going to let them the first day just be around the pool and the second day, you know, go in up to their ankles and their knees and walk around. And then, you know, you're going to get to the point where they can take a few, few swimming strokes and then stand up. And then maybe a few more swimming strokes Mm -hmm. and then stand up. And you're building their confidence about it. Probably the single biggest change I've made in my like day to day life with competition horses and event horses in particular, but this would apply to trail horses or anything, any kind of spooky horse is when I go cross country schooling, I don't think of going through the water or up and down a bank or over a ditch, if I've got a horse that's green to it, or a horse that's spooky or unconfident, I don't think of that thing as success or failure. And if you watch most people go cross-country schooling, that's how it exists in their mind. Like Either I get over the ditch, or I don't. Or I get through the water, or I don't. It's always an extreme, one or the other. Or I don't. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and, and it's just like the Like It's six, totally success or failure. Whereas with me, I could take a horse that's green or spooky, cross-country schooling, and I could go 20 feet away from the water and then leave it for a bit and then 10 feet away from the water and then leave it a bit and then five feet away from the water and then leave it for the day. And I didn't even go through the water that day and I come back next week and I'm just thinking, wow, I, I just really improved my horse's confidence. I was 20 feet away and then I finished the day five feet away with that horse relaxed. Like that's the way that I build a horse's confidence. Whereas if you force them through it, yes, they might go through it, but they're going through it and they're actually losing confidence. Mm-hmm.
2: Oh, I love that. And it it actually brings me to like my next question of can you teach that curiosity in horses and the answer is yes, you can.
5: Yes, with can. my
2: horse um that was we're not as far ahead as I thought we'd be. I didn't quite realize how anxious of a horse she was until our first year together. And um I slowed down the training. I went way back and did a lot of hand walking and we did a lot of curiosity moments letting her touch things she would normally bolt from and rewarding her for when she steps up even if it's one step just give her a scratch give her a treat whatever it is like help her feel like this is fun i really started rethinking training of this is a game this is an opportunity to bond rather than i need to be at first level i need to be here i need to be able to do a flying lead change i need to be able to do this when in truth like it's it's her journey wherever she's ready to be i've like accepted that for myself so how how do you like to That's- teach the curiosity for your horses
5: all horses have a different starting point with, with curiosity. I mean, some horses are so confident and curious. They're pulling you around, trying to touch everything, and they're constantly mm-hmm. knocking over your coffee mug. You know? And then other horses are so anxious that they're not curious. They're just so caught up in their own internal anxiety or internal discomfort from their ulcers or their stress about everything that's moving around them. So they're not curious about anything. And then still other horses have what um, might be called learned helplessness where they're just shut off and you see their eyes just, you know, they go inside themselves and they've sort of been taught by humans to not be curious because every time they've been curious, they've been discouraged for it or even sometimes punished for it. And so it really depends what your starting point is. Uh, With some horses, you're actually trying to say, you know, if they're overly curious, you're trying to say, don't be curious about this, but Hey, come over here and you can be curious about this. So like, don't knock over my coffee mug, but why don't you come over here and investigate this barrel? Um, or, you know, don't be curious about, um, my cell phone there. I don't want you to break it, but why don't I teach you that if I throw my hat, you can go over and pick it up and bring it back to me. So you're trying to like redirect and give them something to be curious about with a horse that is, that is nervous or anxious. I mean, first of all, before I try to teach them to be curious, you're trying to take away the, the stress that exists mm-hmm. so you can give them a safe space to be curious. Um, you know, just like with people, if somebody's dealing with a lot of stress in their life, it's gonna be hard for them to find, you know, to, to to listen to this podcast and to be curious about what I'm saying because their mind is is Distracted. dealing with it's like elsewhere. the stress of of whatever it is in their life that they're dealing with. Like they, they don't have time to be curious. They don't have that the space in their life to do that. And then with uh, horses that are shut down horses, um, you know, things like scratches and bonding like you talked about. And also some of those horses, I would not hesitate to bring out food mm-hmm. and um, either from my hand, uh, but if you don't feel comfortable doing it from your hand, you, what I might do is I might go out into like, you know, the jumping arena or wherever I am and put treats on this barrel, on that mounting block, on that fence yeah. post, I, on I that I use jump. that
2: technique a lot.
5: <laughs> yeah. And then you take them around and, and they start to go, oh, if I'm curious, oh, and what's this? This is fun to be curious.
2: I love that. That's so fun. Um, I will share just a funny story very quick of the over-curious horse. I have a school horse that I've been training, very curious about everything. And uh, sadly, she was very curious about a little woodland creature and got skunked. So sometimes the over-curiosity doesn't always pay off, but there's a fun yeah. mess.
5: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And I will say sometimes an interesting thing about horses is that sometimes Their curiosity will go beyond their own confidence. And what I mean by that, and this relates a little bit to spooky horses, you could be riding a horse, let's let's say you're riding along and something is, comes up 300 feet in front of you. Maybe it's a cow, maybe it's a car, maybe it's a group of people, maybe it's a jump and the horse goes, I'm curious about that. And they start looking at it and they start walking faster and faster towards that thing. What can happen with horses is they can cross the point where they're, like their curiosity or motion has, has gone beyond where they're confident. And all of a sudden, even though it's their choice and they're accelerating towards this thing, they will all of a sudden realize or pass that threshold, whatever you want to call it. And they will then spin and go the other way and maybe even lose their rider if they're quick enough. And so in those moments, I'll stop my horse. I'll ride on that horse and I'll recognize oh, that the tension is coming up and I know my horse is well enough that I go, I know you're curious about this, but your curiosity is taking you towards this thing faster than your own confidence. And I'm going to give you, I'm going to stop you and give you 60 seconds or a minute or two here and wait for your confidence to kind of catch up before we go forward another 10 feet.
2: Interesting. That's a new, I'm going to have to add that one to my checklist of things as I'm writing. Um, I didn't think about that the curiosity could oversee the confidence.
5: Yeah. Yeah. You, you start to watch that. And it's interesting. Um, you know, and, and you'll, you'll start to notice it, you know, a horse will be going down a narrow trail and they'll start to speed up towards something that they see or smell or hear. And then they'll start to walk faster on their own. And then all of a sudden they will be like wanting to spin and go the other way.
2: Oh my gosh. A horse, I, I say it time and time again, but horses are so funny. Like when you really watch them, yeah. they are so funny and yeah. how they react yeah. to the world around them. Um, yeah. and, yeah. We've we've yeah. talked very high level on like the more inspiring things and ways to overcome the spooky horse but something I really took away from your masterclass was knowing when it's time to step back and like it may be too much horse for you. Um, so I think we should probably address that a bit as well of when is it time like when to ask for help and when to check your own ego and say you know, maybe this is too big of a problem for me and I need to get this horse to a, a place that it's safe for them.
5: Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest thing, which, which, uh, you know, you would think goes without saying is when it gets dangerous, but I have been around people that, that haven't recognized how dangerous it's getting. Um, yeah. and I don't know if it's, I feel like our love will don't.
2: make excuses sometimes yeah. for
5: us. Yeah. And that can be subconsciously or consciously like, that they're, they're kind of making excuses subconsciously. And I think some people are not aware enough of how dangerous horses can be.
0: Mm-hmm.
5: I think people that can, that can maybe came to horses as adults and they, they haven't seen a serious accident and they weren't you know, used to working with dogs or something. And and they don't realize that. Like I've known people over the years that have been killed by horses and um Honestly, when I see, when I get kind of difficult horses and I see how quick horses can be and how emotional horses can be and, you know, at their heart, horses are not domesticated to the same level that like dogs or cats or, or probably even most pigs or cattle are like horses are still much more of a wild creature than most other domesticated animals that we spend so much time around with. And when people tell me like, oh, they tell me about an accident with a horse in a person they, and they go, I'm so surprised by this. And honestly, like, I'm probably more surprised that there aren't more accidents. Like Mm -hmm. that's how, that's how dangerous I think horses can be. And not that I'm not recommending having horses in your life, but I'm thinking a lot of people don't have enough of a healthy respect.
2: Yeah. We romanticize it. All the the horse girl movies, all the saddle club books. Yeah. It's very romanticized. Yeah.
5: And, um, You know, there's no in my mind. There's no horse that's ever out there thinking. You know, going to sleep thinking like, how can I get back in my person the next day? Like horses are not like that. Like horses, what makes horses so amazing to me is how much in the present they are. Like people are way more are thinking to the future or thinking in the past, but horses really exist in the present, which what makes them amazing. And if you're good at reading them, which is what can keep you safe because you're you're going to see what's happening in the moment. But it's also what can make them dangerous. Like you could be, have a great safe horse one day and the next day something could change and you could be dealing with a horse that's ready to bolt on you. Yeah. Um, and you gotta be ready to react to that in the moment.
2: I think that's great advice and a good reminder for all of us. I mean, even when I go to the barn, I make sure to check my own energy. Like if I'm bringing in stress, yeah. anxiety from yeah. work, from the day, I don't go to the barn, you know, if I don't have to, or if I just need to do like bare minimum, that's what we do. But I don't think about riding or interacting with my horse on a deep emotional level because I'm not there knowing her anxiety, knowing her triggers, because we go zero to 100. And there's been times where I've been afraid of my own horse. I'll admit it. Um, And it's a good reality check when it happens.
5: Yeah. Yeah. And so safety is that that first thing. And what you just said is the second thing. Like if you find that you're scared or defensive or aggressive or angry or frustrated or any of these things which I would call unhelpful emotions when, when trying to train a horse. you know, in a, in a therapeutic riding session, I wouldn't say it's unhelpful to have those, and some horses are more helpful with that than others. But if you're working with an off-the-track thoroughbred or you're working with a horse that's already emotional on themselves and you start having those emotions too much around a horse, I don't think it's going to be productive for you or the horse. And I don't know if I could put a, a time on that. Like if you're experiencing that 10 minutes a day or 50% of the time with your horse, but you know, definitely over the course of a few months, if you feel like that's happening more often than not, I would be rethinking,
2: is this you know, right that situation, you? you know, yeah. is this
5: the right horse for you or do you need more professional help or does the horse need more professional help or, or something's got to change because that's, that's not going to be fun for you or your horse or probably be safe.
2: Yeah. I think that's great advice, especially as we have so many people who are interested in adopting. You know, I love to believe in a romanticized world. There's a, a thoroughbred or a standard bread for everyone. And I'm sure to a degree that's true. But um, we see all these cute pictures that come in our social media from the different aftercare groups. And it, it's easy to fall in love with the face for sure. But to really make that list and be mindful of what you need and what you want and what you want to accomplish And being honest with whoever's helping you find a horse. I'm a big believer in a third party who's not involved, you know, having them come in and help validate, like, this seems like a good fit for you.
5: Yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, that's not just for amateurs. I mean,
0: Mm -hmm.
5: or or people new to horses, like I would say professionals do that as much or or more. Like if I'm looking at a horse, I'm going to run it by my wife or my, my dad or, you know, David or Karen O'Connor or Will Coleman or something like that. And same thing, you know, with all the other professionals I know when, I don't know any of them that are just going to go out and buy a horse on their own. Like to be able to use the the knowledge and resources around you with questions around horses, I think is really important.
2: I love that. That's great advice. And for those who have horses too, if you're struggling in it, don't be afraid to reach out to someone and ask questions. And you're not a failure or anything if it wasn't the right fit. I mean, it happens to each and every one of us at some point in our lives, that there's the one person out there who's every horse they've ever had was the golden child. Like I applaud you, but that has not been my reality. (laughs) Um, Well, Tick, thank you so much for this. This has been so helpful. I am looking forward to implementing some of these things with my horses and even for my students and ask them to become a little more aware of like how their horses are reacting to different things and how they can help mitigate them and be confident for them. Where can people learn more about you and your trainings?
5: You watched that uh, Noel Floyd masterclass. That's probably a pretty good starting point. Also, I wrote a book a few years ago that is out and that's out in uh, paperback and it's also in ebook form and it's also just come out in audiobook. I was the one to read that, and actually, you know, Helena Harris, and she was the one that did the producing and editing. Um, and uh, so you could read that book. And then I also give clinics uh, around the, around the country, and and sometimes out of the country as well, like in Canada or England. So I, I look forward to meeting some of you at some of those clinics.
2: Awesome! I'll have to see you next time you're around the Michigan area. I'll have to sign up for one. Well, it sounds like a blast.
5: Perfect. I'd love to see you there.
2: Awesome. Well, thanks again, Tick. And uh, we appreciate everything that you do for horses and for horsemen out there.
5: No problem. You too. And thanks for having me on your show.
0: I'm here with Tony from Cashel. You all know it from the ads you hear all the time on this show, but I we're at the trade show and this is the p- point of time in the year where we find out what's new coming out. So what's Cashel have new coming out?
3: Oh, we've got a, a great lineup of uh, 32, 34 wool top pads. So uh, t- describe them. Uh, five different colors, real vibrant, bright, sharp-looking pads. What are the, what makes them different? Uh, well, it's the fill. the 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 wool felt on the inside is a natural felt, and the fleece on the bottom is a hundred percent merino. Oh, really? Okay.
0: So these are soft and squishy
3: pads. Well, not real squishy, but soft, and and they do absorb shock and and saddle fit. What would they
0: retail for? What are those?
3: That's about one hundred and nineteen.
0: That's the right price.
3: Yeah. Anything else new with Casual coming out? Oh, we've got uh, more saddle pads coming in the fall. A new strap line coming in the fall. It's a a two tone that looks great with a a great buckle set on it. We're always in development, so there is so many things, projects in the works. What's still your most popular product? Is it still always the same things year after year? Uh, fly you bet. yeah fly, fly that's what we all what's, that's it. how I knew you in the first place was fly fly masks yep yeah many years ago uh, we were primarily fly masks and kind of had some tush cushions and a few odds and ends. Today we've broadened that offering to saddle bags uh, strap, head stalls, breast collars, bell boots, um, leg protection and the it continues to grow.
0: Is there a place where somebody can go and see all the products?
3: Uh, CashelCompany.com will give you a good offering. There you go. Well, thank you, Tony. It's been fun seeing you again. Hey, thank you. Good to see you.
1: Joy, I'm very excited to introduce our next guest. We have with us today, Andy Belfiore, who grew up riding show horses, uh, and then launched her career in racing on the backstretch at Belmont Park, working, as so many do, as a hot walker, groom, and exercise rider. Then she moved to the front side of the track and worked for Naira, then was named Director of Communications for Nitha in 2011 and Executive Director in 2015. She was instrumental in the creation of Take Two and Take the Lead, which is what we're going to learn more about today. Um, and in her spare time, she's also the Executive Director of the Florida Thoroughbred Horsemen's Association. She wears many, many hats, so we're very excited to have her here with us today. Andy, welcome to the show.
6: Thank you so much for having me.
1: So you are doing a lot now. You are still running Take Two and Take the Lead, And you're working with the Florida Thoroughbred Horseman's Association. How are you balancing all of that?
6: You know, I mean, the, the take two and take the lead is a labor of love. So you just find the time to, you know, on your off hours and days off to do the work that needs to be done to keep that organized and, you know, compartmentalize the Florida Thoroughbred Horseman stuff from nine to five
1: schedule. Well, that's pretty much summing up equestrian life. So, yeah, I think we're all <laughs> exactly. familiar with, with that idea. Yeah, that's awesome. And, you know, that's, that's how, it, how it goes. So, so tell us a little bit more about Take the Lead and Take Two, because I know they, you know, came of age at about the same time, uh, but they're certainly two very different programs.
6: So actually, Take Two was the first program that we started. Okay. And Rick Violet at the time was the president of the New York Thoroughbred Horsemen's Association. He'd grown up riding show horses. And he was very much aware that Thurbird Racing needed to have a better focus on aftercare and figuring out, okay, you know, when their racing careers are over, what are we going to do with these horses? And it was at about the same time that the Thurbird Aftercare Alliance was was coming to fruition. And he said, it's great that we're figuring out where to take them from the racetrack, but we also need to figure out how we're going to create more second careers for them. And as he was a hunter and jumper guy you know, that was the focus of the program. So we started that in 2012 and it started with eight horse shows in three different States. And now it's expanded so that there are take 200 jumper classes at more than 400 horse shows across the country. It's big. It's it's a really, you know, it's really blossomed. And then take the lead came along the year later. Um, once we got take two up and running and we were trying to expand that, We said, okay, we were looking at what other racetracks were doing. And we particularly looked at turning for home at parks. And they had a program where they worked directly with the owners and trainers at at parks racetrack to find homes for their horses. So we said, okay, we need to do something similar in New York. And, you know, started doing interviews with veterinarians, aftercare organizations, anybody that was going to be involved in this, in this initiative to see what the best business model would be for New York. And it's slightly different. I think it was the first, what they call a triage program. So we don't ever take possession of the horses. We just serve as a liaison between the owners and trainers and the accredited aftercare programs to find you know the right path for each horse to, to you know, have the best chance at a smooth transition to retirement.
1: And that makes so much sense because I would imagine that it's a little overwhelming, like, you know, especially if you're maybe a first-time owner, you know, on the track, and you're like, uh-oh, <laughs> now I have a horse and I don't know what to do with it, that it makes so much sense to have a program like that that helps navigate that transition for people, you know, to get their horse set up for success.
6: Yeah, I think it's it's something that, you know, was obviously much needed. And uh, now it's it's honestly spawned some, you know, similar programs in Maryland, in Florida, um, they're you know, it's kind of become the model for the new program and the owners and trainers are, are so appreciative of having this easy access to finding a, a safe and happy retirement for their horses.
1: What did aftercare look like in New York, you know, before that program existed, it was it just sort of like a free for all in terms of people like trying to figure out what to do best for horses? You know, I mean, programs like new vocations and stuff, you know, have been around, but, I would imagine it's one of those, like, if you know, you know, and if you don't, it can be really difficult to know what to do. So what was happening before Take the Lead?
6: Yeah, you're exactly right. It was, a you know, there was no structure, there was no safety net for the horses. And it was pretty much, you know, every trainer, it was every man or woman for themselves. So it was like, maybe I know Aunt Betsy's got a farm and she's got, you know, a couple acres. So I'll throw the horse out there or Maybe I know somebody in the hunter jumper world or the polo world or something, but you would have to, you know, make all the phone calls and, you know, go as far afield as possible to find homes, especially if the horse had any kind of significant injury. And this, you know, it's now a one-stop shop. You make a phone call, you say, hey, I've got a horse that needs retirement. And then we go to work. You know, it's myself, Rick Shostberg is, you know, sadly, Rick Violet passed away in 2018. You know, he was. He was with us long enough to see just how well the programs were doing. And then Rick Shostberg took over as president in 2018. And it's pretty much him and myself. And Kristen Mason is NIFA's aftercare coordinator. And Dion Johnson is our, you know, bookkeeping guru. And the four of us go to work every time we get a call and make, you know, all the arrangements to find the right placement for every horse.
1: That's cool. That makes so much sense though, just to basically outsource that, you know, to its own office. So yeah, that's awesome. Absolutely. So Andy,
2: I saw in an article
1: that Take the
2: Lead has just had their 1000th horse or safely retire through the program. So massive congratulations on that. That's a huge accomplishment. And it says that she is going to the New Vocations New York location and we are partnered with New Vocations on the show. We'd love to know a little bit more about how that partnership has come through. Actually, our adoptable horse is a knight the horse as well. You know, how does that partnership work, and who else do you partner with?
6: So, you know, actually, Anna Ford at New Vocations was one of the first people that I called when I thought, okay, we're going to create, take the lead, and have this program. And you know, we talked a lot about what the program should look like and how it should work. You know, and she was instrumental in in guiding us into you know some of the of the protocols that we should have in place. And so, since day one, we launched this program, and I believe it was March of 2013. And the first horse we had was a horse called Down Broadway that was a, a Rick Shostberg trained horse, and it went to New Vocations. And since then, she, you know, the New Vocations program and Rerun is our other biggest partner. Um, have taken the, the vast majority of the horses that we retire out of the uh, New York Racing Association tracks. You know, we also have other partners like Aikendale, Lucky Orphans, Equine Advocates, uh, Second Chance Thoroughbreds. You know, there are others that that help us out as well, but um, certainly New Vocations and Rerun are our two biggest partners
2: amazing. And what I think I loved most about seeing that article and learning more about take the lead is the mantra for retiring that you have is that one race early. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and why that philosophy could change the racing industry for horse welfare?
6: You know, it's it's such an important mindset to have like and it benefits everyone because certainly you want to stop the horse while the horse still is as sound as possible, and then we'll have you know every opportunity to have a successful second career. But also, if you keep going with the horse as an owner or a trainer, that horse isn't going to be able to perform to its best, and so you're going to be spending money on training fees and vet bills and blacksmith and everything else. And the horse isn't able to to compete at the right level, and it's not going to earn money for you. So you're not benefiting by keeping the horse in training. And if the horse gets more injured, he's not benefiting. And then going on to the aftercare programs, it's so much easier for them to find an adopter for a horse that can have any second career out there. So really just having that mindset to say, you know, let's not try to squeeze the lemon dry, as they say. Let's, you know, let's be really thoughtful and think about, okay, this horse, he's ready to be retired and this is the right time. And it's a mindset that we really, really preach constantly to everyone.
1: And I I think that is starting to gain some traction, like just outside, you know, outside of the Nairo tracks too. I think I'm I'm seeing that more and more industry-wide that one last race syndrome and how we're, you know, hopefully encouraging more trainers to retire early, you know, or retire when the horse has his maximum amount of athleticism and trainability and, and physical, you know, ability to go into a new career. So, That's great that it's, you know, a nice official (laughs) motto. So um transitioning back now to take two. So those are hunter jumper classes. Um, and I know that they're a little like, I don't I don't want to say upper level, you know, like you're not, you know, at four foot, but they're they're a good goal I think for a lot of people to compete with their thoroughbreds like let's say a year or two after the makeover Um, you know the thoroughbred makeover of course is a a first year retraining competition and I know a lot of our competitors at the makeover want to go on into take two when they're done with the makeover which I think is a really good goal Um, and what I've heard people say about the take two classes is that they're like super friendly they're just like a nice place to show everyone is relaxed and supporting each other they're having a great time I've never been able to get to a take two show, but why do you think that is? Like, why do you, why does it seem like everyone is just having a great time at these thoroughbred shows? Because that's the way that people talk about the makeover as well. That it's just like a fun place to show and hang out.
6: You know, I mean, I just think people that love thoroughbreds love to talk to each other and they love to hear the stories of each other's horses and and the journey from the racetrack to the show ring. And you know, I, I will say like there are a lot of stresses in different jobs. But in particular with Take-Two, when my phone rings and it's a Take-Two phone call, I almost invariably end the phone call with a big smile on my face. Because these guys that compete in the Take-Two classes are just so enthusiastic. They just love their horses. They love competing in these classes. And there's they're just, you know, every time I speak to them, there's nothing but happiness and, and good feelings between everybody. And I think that's, you know, that carries over into the competitions. Yeah, they're competing against each other and we all want to win the blue ribbon but at the end of the day it's about having a good time and enjoying your thoroughbred and we actually we have the finals every year in September in um at the Kentucky National Horse Show in Lexington and this year we did a little cocktail party the day before the finals and we just invited everybody to come and hang out have a drink on us and and chat and it was just so much fun everybody just had a great time getting to know each other and it's just it's a great, yeah, great community. It really is. I love
1: that. That's like what horse showing is supposed to be. I love this. I have all the feels. Yeah. <laughs> now I want a hunter. I don't even I don't even write English. <laughs> and I'm like, oh yeah, <laughs> I want to do that. Do
6: take Certainly food. come to, you know, we we don't discriminate. If you love thoroughbreds, you can come to our our party. So I can come hang out.
1: All right, great. Yeah. We can all
2: come right. do media so coverage. Be fun, Kristen.
1: Yeah,
6: there you oh, go. Yeah. go. We'd have a great time. <laughs>
1: So what I like about take two is that, you know, it sort of falls under this umbrella of more of an advocacy program under, you know, the big umbrella of aftercare, you know, so it's, I think when people say thoroughbred aftercare, most of them are picturing like a new vocations or an organization that is directly taking the horses and rehoming them and adopting them out. Uh, But I think these advocacy programs are just as important because they're creating the demand, you know. Like we can only do so much to keep adopting horses and adopting horses and adopting horses, but by creating these venues for them to compete at, that's creating the demand so that then we can adopt more horses into it. So where do you think that programs like this, you know, like Take-Two or Thoroughbred Incentive Program or the Thoroughbred Makeover and the work of the RRP, where do you think that sort of fits in in that aftercare picture? Like, obviously, those of us who work in them are like, they're really important. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but how do we convince everybody else that they are?
6: <laughs> well, I mean, I think it's it's just in seeing that the popularity of the thoroughbred has grown. And, you know, when that was the whole idea, because, you know, when Rick Violet grew up, thoroughbreds were the thing. Everybody wanted a thoroughbred. If you were a hunter-jumper person, you rode thoroughbreds. And then the warm blood slowly, slowly, slowly took over, and the thoroughbreds were, you know, declining in popularity. And so, you know, very much what you said We need to have second careers for these horses. We need to create opportunities for them and let's get them back into popularity in the show ring because they're really good at it, you know, and they're, I think they are more, they're more of a challenge to ride for a lot of people. And Mm -hmm. I think that's maybe somewhat what has caused them to, to decline in popularity. But at the end of the day, I don't think there's any horse that's more fun to ride than a, a thoroughbred with a good mind.
1: Yeah, I've heard them described as the horseman's horse, which I think is a pretty accurate statement. You know, you can't just sort of fake your way onto a thoroughbred. I think we're all, uh, everyone working with a thoroughbred understands, you know, you just have to be a horseman in every sense of the word to to get the most out of a thoroughbred. But gosh, they are fun.
6: Yeah. And I think programs like the Makeover and like Take Two and the TIP program, they all put the spotlight on just how good these horses are at these second careers and i think it's it's helping i mean you know when i talk to people there you know certainly the take two thoroughbred league has grown we have more and more people that are competing in the in the classes every year and you know it seems that the the makeover is is more and more successful every year i think it's just it really is working to to let people think about their next horse could should very much consider a thoroughbred
1: and they all mesh together too, which is really nice too, you know, like you can take and do the makeover their first year and then move right into the take two after that, you know, cause your horse has had you don't have to seasoning. like pick one or the other. It's exactly. really continuous.
6: Yeah. yeah, definitely.
2: I absolutely love that. So looking at take two thoroughbred league, how can people get involved if they have interest? and you know, what, what's the easiest way for them to kind of join your program?
6: So you can just go to our, our website, which is take, the number two tbreads.com and it's fifty dollars a year to be a member of the league and that gets you eligible for uh we have high score um year-end awards that are ten thousand dollars and then we have the finals that are uh, ten thousand dollars each for the hundred final and the jumper final so it's pretty simple you just go on you register your horse and off you go, you know, but au- actually to compete in the take two classes, you don't have to be a member of the league. So if you decide I'm just going to jump in a few classes here and there, and I'm not really going to compete for points or try to go for the league, you can still compete in the take two classes, but if you want to be eligible for the finals and for the year end awards, then you have to join the league.
2: 50 bucks is well, that's awesome.
1: for a year end. That's
2: yeah. that's a Yeah. It's like, sounds a lot easier than like some other equestrian memberships we won't mention on this program because <laughs> we don't get into politics here. <laughs> That's definitely reasonable. And I think it's lovely that it opens it up for more equity in the industry. We all know this is quite an elitist sport for some. It could be hard to fit in, get in the shows, but this is a nice way to kind of get involved in a way that makes sense for everyone.
6: And we, we definitely try to make it as you know accessible and open and user-friendly as possible. For instance, if if there's only one horse in the class, you still get points. You know, it, we don't mm-hmm. say, oh, it's got to be a minimum of three or this or that, you know, and we actually opened it up this year to where any of the USEF rated shows that offer the rated thoroughbred divisions, we count the points. It used to be that they had to partner with us and have a contract and this and that. And we were like, you know what, how can we make this more accessible to people and make sure that people are getting all the points that they deserve. Let's open it up. So that's what we did.
2: Amazing. I feel a lot of people could learn from, you know, that there are bread incentives that are going out there in the world. I said it, you know, you can email me your complaints later if you'd like. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and it's not <laughs> even all about the the points. Like, it's just fun, guys. It's fun It's fun to
2: have Jeez. that community. And I, I think I can speak for everyone. There's obviously pressure on the English side, and Kristen, you can speak on the Western side where Westerns very quarter horse dominant. English is very warm blood dominant. So to kind of have this community where we're all going through the retraining process together and you have your horse's backstories, you can come together and celebrate their second careers. You know, that's something very unique and special that we get to have owning these x ray horses. So I, I love that you've created a, another space where we can celebrate that.
6: No, it's 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 so rewarding too. It's just so much fun. I mean, the finals like if anybody has a chance just to come and watch the horses compete and see how much fun that the competitors have, it's it's really special. It it kind of makes me sad cuz Rick Violet passed away before we had our first finals and we actually named the 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 perpetual trophy as the Rick Violet Memorial Trophy, but I know somewhere he's looking down and he's quite quite happy with the way it it, it turned out. Oh, I bet he's proud. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome.
1: Well, Andy, thank you so much for joining us and telling us more about these programs. Um, two very different programs, but definitely filling two very big needs in the thoroughbred world. So thanks for all of your hard work.
6: Well, thank you. It, it's it's the most rewarding thing I do. I will say that. <laughs> well,
1: Joy, we had a lot of fun on social media this week. Um, I was inspired while doing the same endless round of barn chores to wonder what everyone else does with their horses, because of course... You know, most horses, most race horses come with their jockey club name or their USTA name. And then we give them a barn nickname. Sometimes we also give them a show name. But then what inevitably happens is then that barn name kind of morphs into like a hundred other weird nicknames. Oh, a hundred percent.
2: Horses have like eight to 10 names minimum.
1: Yeah. It's actually amazing that they answer to anything at all. Like, yes, based on what we, I think they most just respond to noises. Like, you know, you say something,
2: at them. And then crinkly bag sounds like that's a very exciting uh, noise for them.
1: (laughs) Yeah. We'll just show up whatever they want. Yeah. So what do you call, what is Astrid's race name? I don't know if I know this. Uh, It's embarrassing and I hate
2: it. It is. And no one come at me because I know this is a G rated show.
1: Fast and firm. Okay. See, I don't think that's a, I don't think that's like a, a thing. I think that's tracks are rated fast. For a dirt track and firm for a turf track if they're at thank you peak. for
2: giving me the disney edition because my corrupted brain went somewhere else <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right well we know what you're thinking about okay great <laughs> so fast and firm bar name astrid what do you also call her because surely oh my that's. Gosh, how many names does she have
2: okay so probably the number one she gets called is blueberry and it is not for what? charlotte du- Chardin's blueberry uh even though i'd write your sash when i had to start blanketing her she's not grow winter coat she had like this like blueberry colored blanket all of them are that way it's just cuz that's what was on sale it was not on purpose it's not my colors or anything but she just looked like this giant blueberry in the middle of the field <laughs> okay so
4: i'm
2: like sense. blueberry and i call her princess blooms um she's called princess pumpkin spice pumpkin Oh, uh, gosh, there's so many. Sometimes just like Puddin pop that one comes out sometimes. It's a variety. Nothing is long, like, because Astrid's not a name you can really make into something super cutesy. Like, our biggest cutesy name is Astrid Girl. That's what we'll call her.
1: And it makes it longer. Yeah. It just makes it longer. But normally, I just call her, like, Blueberry or Princess Bloobs. I feel like Astrid, though, is, like, jobber. Like, it's fun to yell when you're kind of mad at them.
2: Like Esther, jobber. You well, know, I guess you, I do, but it, it's like definitely that like mother and target and their kids messing around type of thing where it's like quiet yelling. I'm like Esther, stop that right now. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I I scream, jobber. See, I scream the at the geldings and the mares get like target mom.
1: <laughs> okay, that makes sense. Yes, yeah. yes. But yeah, speaking so... of jobber, let's go into your names, <laughs> jobber. So his race name is jobber Bill. On the track, apparently they called him Billy, which I was like, Bleh. "Like, sorry, it's Jobber." So the the girl that took him off the track called him Jobber because she thought, mm-hmm. "Just, I guess it was a better name." And I agree; I think it's like it's odd, it's a little funny, and I don't mm-hmm. know. He's just a Jobber. It's better than Billy because I immediately yeah, I was, think he's going to yeah. be taken by a clown. Well, we also had a farmhand named Bill at the time, and I was like, "We can't have two of them no. running around like that." And like Bill's going to get concerned if you're yelling Billy. Yeah, well, Bill probably wouldn't have noticed if I was yelling Billy, (laughs) to be honest. But either way, it's fine. So, yeah, I call him Jobber. And that, of course, has become Jobs because that shortens it. I have a friend who calls him Jobs. She makes it a long O. Um, I also call it Jommer, which then shortens to Joms. And then sometimes he's Steve Jobs. That's funny. I
2: like Job, though, because it
1: makes me think of um, Arrested Development. Oh, maybe that's where it's, yeah, maybe that's where it came from. Yes. And for anyone else, I made an it reference. If you're like, why did she say a clown? Like, it an it <laughs> reference. And uh, Wes came with the name Wes. That's short for Western Flash, which is his USTA registered name. Um, and when he's either very cute or naughty, it becomes Wesley. Oh. So, and it's like a fine line between cute and naughty. So he gets called Wesley a lot. That's a, like a fun one to kind of yell, like, Wesley. Yeah. I like, oh, I only God. have like fun yelling <laughs> names. So um, regal justice is Eric's horse. And he came with the name shorty because Tony says it was the shortest horse she had, but shorty is hands down the tallest horse we have. So it really confuses people. That's funny. Um, and that's just shorty shorts, short man. And Eric calls him his generic animal name, which is bud. <laughs> um, he also calls all of his dogs, bud from that's time great. to time. So I, I think mean, that's just, his, like, and Astrid both get called bro yeah yeah like it's just like he's like oh good job bud you know and gives him a yeah. pat so that's just sort of his default so um, we had a ton of responses to this i know social. i think this is like, like our most
2: popular post we've ever done
1: yes um so if you do not hear yours highlighted it is not because we didn't like it it's just because there's, there's so many lot. and we love um, you so all I'm- for it <laughs> we do we love all of you where's a good one uh let's see uh dewey's mate x horse. Jockey club named Dewey's mate, barn name Dewey, uh, name evolution was Dewberry, and my husband calls him His Majesty, which oh that's
2: great. <laughs> I love that's that. Great. I have to shout this one out because she's riding at my barn. I didn't know she followed us. That makes that's so great. So MG Eventing or Maria, hi Maria. Uh, she has her horse done it easy with style. Her barn name is Prada, and the evolution is Prada pants. Prada Kins, Princess Prada, and I know this one, Prada Marie. That is her in
1: trouble name. Oh, yeah, that's like Prada Elizabeth. You're like, yeah. Yes. I can yes. immediately. I <laughs> love that. Uh, let's see. We have Stargy Barrel Horses. She has Cowboy Swagger, who is Fallon Taylor's winning makeover horse. Um, yeah, it was like so that. Makes I know the really backstory familiar. on this horse. Yes. Yeah. So. Stargy Barrel Horses uh, exercised Cowboy Swagger on the track and is friends with Fallon and recommended that Fallon take the makeover. And now he's back with Jessica, which Amazing. is really, a That's cool a full circle cool story. Circle. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so Jockey Club name, of course, Cowboy Swagger. She calls him Swags or Fred. <laughs> Those are two very different <laughs> names. Uh, and the name evolution there is Swaggles, Swaggy or Swaggerton, which I like Swaggerton. I do. Swaggerton's fun.
2: Um, That's I like uh JK Duguay. I'm Sorry if I said that wrong. But well, your ho- everyone's
1: Instagram handles. I know we're doing the best we can these.
2: here. <laughs> uh so his jockey club name for his horse is Rio Hondo, which I think is a fun name. And his bar name is Rio, but the evolution is Uncle Ri, but it might be Rai. So correct me if I'm wrong, but oh Uncle Ri Ri, Uncle, big uncle, big guy. Big friendly guy. So
1: I think we you know can this like, horse's personality. <laughs> you can see the lineage there <laughs> as the name changes. I love that. <laughs> oh, here's a good one. I'm not going to sing it, but I'm going to say it. Uh, from Red <laughs> Boys 2, horse's name is Nachito. So, of course, the obvious evolution there is called horse Nacho. And the nickname, I can totally picture this happening in the barn every day. Mm-hmm. Nacho, Nacho Man. I want to be a Nacho man. Like you'd go and you'd just sing it every day to your horse and
2: i know exactly how they're like with your brushes in hand your treats you're just like
1: yeah (laughs)
0: and
1: the horse is like okay yep yep that's okay yeah i love that
2: (laughs) i like um j mob three three four whose horse's name is steel sky which like that's kind of a pretty cool name kind of sounds like a secret agent and i like it uh the bar name is sky but the nicknames are like chef's kiss we have stink pot (laughs) stinker Mama's boy, my love, <laughs> mush head, and cranky pants. You have a chestnut. I'm so sure of it. You have a chestnut. Yeah, this horse has multiple personalities. <laughs> yes, he does.
1: <laughs> uh, here's a good one. An AH engineer, horse's name is Echoing Thunder, calls him Jigsaw, and the nicknames are Jiggy or Giraffe. <laughs> so, I feel like Giraffe on high headed days, maybe.
4: Mm-hmm. That's all right, so and I'm going to
1: pick one more. We'll do a shout out I know, to it's our so friend of the podcast, Lee Beamer with Hot Girl Summer. So we all know Hot Girl Summer who's called Finn, uh, but she also calls her Beaky or Beaker, which I don't know how she got there, but I'm just going to I'm just going to roll with that one. So, I know. Oh, I ha- I have to story. do one
2: more though. Chris. Okay,
1: one more, one more. I have to cuz it's just
2: fun. We have Kaylin Horse, and her horse's name is Ranger. Oh, it's a dog, actually. Ranger is yep, the dog. that's a dog. So special together. shout out to the dog. But still, we'll count it because I love these names. They're fun. You have Ranger Danger, Ranger Rony, Rony Baloney, Flops, and Flippy Flops.
1: <laughs> I Dogs definitely like dogs are prone to getting a million nicknames for I sure. I know.
2: I know. I'm if like, we did that one, on
1: that would be the entire episode. Yeah, that would, that might break our, <laughs> break our social media.
2: Yes, it, it probably would. Uh, we'd probably get an email from Instagram asking to cease and decease.
1: Yeah. Please stop. Please stop. <laughs> You've broken the story. But so well, much fun. If you guys would like to participate in future social challenges, such as this one, it's not much of a challenge, really. It's easy it's and fun. fun. Yeah. Give us a follow. We are Retired Race Force Radio on Instagram and Facebook.
2: Well, it is that time again on the episode where we get with Leander Cooper from New Vocations. I'm so excited to have you back, Leander, because it's felt like forever.
7: At least forever.
2: At least forever, if we're looking at real units of time here. And I I also (laughs) feel like I need to get like intro music for New Vocations for the segment.
3: (laughs) Like DM
2: us listeners if that's something you want, because it sounds really fun. Uh, That (laughs) would be like, like a fun jingle or something. Yeah, I feel like we just need like some sort of like superhero theme song for you okay. or something like that. Well, I'm on board for that. Excellent. All right. I'll be brainstorming and listeners send us your ideas. <laughs> I love it. But uh, hitting into all those things aside, we'll push those away for a minute. What's new at new vocations. We're in a new year. We know you're selling on these horses because I can't keep up. I see one come online and then it's gone, but then there's another cute one. There's, there's just a lot happening at new vocations right now. Can you give us a scoop
7: on what people should be excited for? Absolutely. And you know, the funny thing is I feel like I can't keep up either and I'm in the midst of it. So um you're not alone in that. But I mean, recently December was, as you noticed, wild for adoptions. We had over 60 adoptions, which for in the month, in the month. I should point out. Um, so 60, over 60, I think it was like 66 in December alone um, between the different facilities, which was a record for us. That hasn't happened yet. We've had 50s, but 60 plus was a new thing. I think this is like our second year breaking a record on the show for that, by the way. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I would not be surprised. So it keeps us very busy. And then January is really a rebuilding month. Um, you know, Just like you would have to start from scratch if you were had sold out of the whole store basically right like there is almost like restocking we'll call it where we have new horses in but we've we've just spent so much time and energy Adopting out and being travel agents for all these horses leaving that were like in the ramping up phase to get even more horses online. And the one who I will be talking about today is one of those wonderful horses, but we're also just planning out what this year is going to look like and really excited for that. We're going to have a lot of fun events that we're already working on, which seems surreal because I feel like we just tipped the corner to this new year and now we're like planning, um, events for the rest of the year. So. If you all haven't seen the big media release yet, by the time you're hearing this, um, then please know that we will be bringing back the Open Barn and Barbecue, a favorite on Friday, April twenty eighth this year. So, uh-huh. if you would like to buy tickets, they're already on sale. Awesome. You can go ahead. It's such and do a that. fun event! I
2: loved going. It's been a few years since I've been able to go, but it's always a treat going out there. And are you going to have some clinicians again
7: for the event? We are. We're working on the specifics of that, but I can tell you that I already really want to see what they're going to come up with. <laughs> and so I think that you will not be disappointed. And even things like the silent auction that um, you know, we've really wanted to work on that and get things that'll draw people in. I feel like personally, sometimes the silent auctions will be like, well, maybe I want to bid on that, but already what I know that we're gonna have, I'm like, well, I want that. Can I bid on that?
1: <laughs> so, oh my, I'm so, so
7: excited. And it is I'm going to have to go look for a ticket. (laughs) Absolutely. Please do.
2: Amazing. Well, I'm super excited for that event, but before we dig into all the exciting things we have, I have a training question for you, Leandra, and maybe it's one that's not so exciting for everyone, but could be a struggle for several. What are your tips and tricks to help a horse who's not the most willing to be
7: bridled feel more comfortable with being bridled? Oh, that is a good one. We have definitely experienced that with horses who have extreme aversions to their ears being touched or just struggle with some head shyness that they've developed and um, everywhere in between. I mean, some who just want to like walk away as soon as you have the halter off. So I would say first and foremost, uh, make sure that you are in a safe and secure spot to be working on this in case you do um Unsuccessfully, brought a the horse, and then you know, lose when I end up with a loose, loose, <laughs> lose your horse. Um, I've definitely been like holding on to the reins that are over their head. Always a good practice, you know. You learn that mm-hmm. as a kid, some, most of us, and then um, always a good practice to remind yourself you're never immune to that. I've been like trying to skate down the aisleway with a horse who's just walking away. I've with done the like rain. the full body block, <laughs> like a bouncer. Yeah, yeah. No, it happens. So, um, with really extreme cases, like horses who have medical conditions or have like things going on their ears, we had one who it looked like he had barnacles coming out of his ears and really was not about to be bridled easily. Um, sometimes you have to work around that if it's a really deeply, deeply ingrained um, process. Because the reality is that's not going to be undone quickly. So when you're dealing with a really deep aversion like that, like, like I said, especially if there's like medical basis, and they might have a real deeply ingrained pain association. That hardwiring goes deep. That is a, That becomes an actual neurological path in their brain. That is not to be underrated. You cannot muscle them through that. That will only... Hurt the long-term progress of working them through that. So I would say one of the best things you can do is try to teach them that it doesn't have to be painful. So you're saying, okay, in these extreme conditions, how do you do that? If you can get a bridle, like I got a headstall that has the little snaps on it, and um, either have it not go over an ear if you're dealing with that Western headset, or just one that doesn't go over the ears, just try to simplify it as much as possible. Because it, sometimes it's like the whole process becomes involved in this neurologic response. So the psychology for them of like working through this scary thing, like it's an actual for them, you know, we can understand that it's not actually threatening, but perceived fear is just as strong and they will react the same way you don't want to put yourself in a dangerous situation. And we certainly don't want to amplify that by having it be a scary situation where they're forced into it. So sometimes the best thing you can do is kind of get something that works around it. And people think that's a shortcut, but really what we're trying to do is teach them that it doesn't have to be painful. So if you can do things like, you know, gently toss the reins over so they're not touching their ears and do that successfully, like sometimes that's a big step for some of them. So do that. And then... I like to shower them in praise, give them lots of the positive affirmations. So, we're trying to slowly rebuild this neurologic pathway that's just like, like this bridal means fear and pain and anxiety, and I don't want anything to do with it. Normal response. Like, we can all understand why they would react that way when you break it down like that. So, then, you know, in the long term, what we want to do is be able to slowly work towards working on, like, say it's the ears. That's a tough one. So, we want to be able to handle the ears without there being an extreme reaction. And again, like they might go to rear, run off, or headbutt you. There are lots of things we don't want you to be like in harm's way. So all of this has to happen slowly. And sometimes I'll even use kind of like Reiki methods where you're not even touching, you're just in the airspace. And a lot of this is figuring out where that like red light, yellow light, green light zones are, where it's like, okay, you're fine. We can work around you here. Maybe that's three feet back. But if I have my hand within like a foot of your, say it's the ear again, that that's like, extreme caution and then six inches is like hell no we're not doing anything closer than that so you want to be able to gradually break down those walls and reduce those zones so that you can eventually have bigger green zones and that they can be okay with that but i think a lot of what happens is underestimating what that time period looks like so especially pain and fear responses that it's like when somebody says one negative thing, even if they're 10 positive things that you're like focused on the negative thing, our brains just like theirs are wired to look for those patterns that are potential threats to us and horses are very reactive even more so than we are they're um you know born to have more of a action base and have these really strong responses because that's what helped them survive and become the creatures that they are which we love and appreciate but in in order to work with them and not against them in this we have to understand that that hardwiring is there for a reason. And so there might've been some mixed mes- messages about um, you know, the process that we're trying to do that we know doesn't have to be painful and um, what they may have built a response to. So in order to rewire that, it just takes so much time. Um, so persistence, compassion, anything you can do to kind of like understand what's going on. And then if you have a horse who's kind of you, maybe not an extreme version of that, you're gonna, still dealing with the same sort of concepts, but there are a lot of things that you can do as far as just like um, getting them more used to handling their head or just being in their space more. Um, one of the tips that I like to say that like any rider can use is that a lot of times we tend to kind of pull their ears through the bridle, which might the, uh, you know, if they had their ears twitched and they're really uh, averse to that and they're, they're cautious of that, then that could be kind of upsetting for them. And then they start associating that with that process, which has nothing to do with it, but I like to push their ears back. It's kind of hard to enact that the moment. I'm doing lots of things with my hands like right our, now. Yeah. I'm like, kind of thinking how you pull <laughs> your
2: hair back a little bit. And yeah. I actually do that with my horse of when I put her bridle on I kind of like smush her ears back yes. a
7: little bit. <laughs> yeah. So you can do the smush back or you can like, sometimes if, if they don't mind their pull and like coming up from the neck and again, like you kind of want to mind their blind spots too. So that kind of works if you're like in their correct peripherals that I will push from like neck up to eyes, right? Like that direction that you're pushing it up into the bridle instead of like yanking it through or instead of like doing any sort of grabbing and, um, and that's sort of like a gentle way of like allowing the ear to do sort from of a natural motion and just guiding it through and in a, like still any rider can use this trip to not, it's like I combined trick and tip and I just said it together. So that's a new word. <laughs> um, but To be mindful of where your hands are and where the leather is when you're putting a bridle on too, just in case you're poking an eye or, um, you know, it's squished in between their cheek, little things can become uncomfortable for them. So um, the more cognizant you can be, but I would say a lot of the times when there's a real struggle, if it's not like a thing where they're just like, Oh, I didn't even see you there. I mean, sometimes we'll have baby horses who are just like the second you take off the halter, they're like, "Oh, now I'm in turnouts." They just walk away, right? Like that's a different <laughs> thing. You know, that that's a different set of mannerisms, but as far as working with one who is um upset or fearful of the process, a lot of that is figuring out Um, you know, where they are comfortable and slowly working towards that. And I like to use a lot of positive reinforcement again, um, especially in those really sensitive areas, especially because they can be more reactive there. And just the more that you can do to build that trust with you and the horse, the better off you're going to be in trying to break down some of those barriers. So um, build off the little things and just patience will go a long way. I love it. All very helpful tips and
2: tricks there. And also it could be your bit, I'm just going to add it in, make sure you're mm-hmm. getting your horse checked dental as well. If mm-hmm. they suddenly have an issue with the bridle, but they've been good in the past. Oh, absolutely. It's worth asking her about very quickly to take a quick look at their teeth.
7: And yeah. if you can, um, Like a lot of times we'll teach new employees to be able to just use two fingers, kind of run them up the sides of your horse's mouth, as long as you're comfortable with that. A lot of times you can, so you'll only be able to feel the premolars, but if the premolars are sharp and you're taking your fingers out and you're like, "Ow, that hurt, you know, did I cut my finger? Then chances are the molars are pretty bad too. Um, and we've seen horses who come in with full on ulcers, like holes in their cheeks who are very stoic and wouldn't necessarily show you, um, you know, they can have trapped food that gets rot. There are a lot of different things that they can be like physically uncomfortable about. So that's a really, really good tip. And just like bit size too. Like every horses have different bit sizes. And sometimes people forget that. <laughs> so, like If it's pinching your horse's cheeks, that they're probably not going to enjoy that part of the process too much.
2: Well, Leandra, these tips have been super helpful. I know I'm going to take some of these and practice them with my horse because she's a little sensitive Nelly sometimes about her head as well. Uh, But I want to learn a little bit about our adaptable horse of the week. And I want to make sure I'm pronouncing his name correctly. So it's Wild Carp Diem is his Mm -hmm. jockey club name. But what is his bar name?
7: Is it Jose? Is it Hose? Oh, no, it's Fish. It's fish. We just call him fish because he's instead of wild carp, like carp ADM. He's just a wild carp. He's a fish. Oh, my gosh. I was so off. I think my notes were wrong. (laughs)
2: Apologies there. Cause I was like, how do I pose? That seems weird. So that makes a
7: lot more sense. (laughs) Um, yeah. So even simpler pronunciation, um, but fish as we call him wild carp DM is a really cute. I mean, his face right away will catch you, but he's 16 hands, 2019 gelding. He's a bay. Um, And, you know, the funny thing with this horse is he came in and was one who was like the same exact horse from the day that he came in, where we usually see these transitions and all that. And he he has been like true and true, uh, wears his colors on his sleeves, has the absolute most can do attitude and is totally willing to please. Like he is not only a people horse, but he's also like a horse's horse. Um, so he just has such a nice blend of personality for being social and always kind of in the middle of his group and playful, but not too playful. He's just always that like Goldilocks in between. And he just has the cutest face. Um, you know, he's still growing. Uh, but he has this nice build already that could go in uh, many different directions. And I think he's probably going to grow a little bit more. He just has this kind of nice blend of everything. So as far as the future with him, I think he could go in so many different directions. Um, the most recent thing that kind of blew all of our minds was that he had come in with the history of having an old sesmoid fracture and it didn't say on the report initially what leg it was on. So we were like, all right, well, he hasn't had any soundness issues and we'll have to just get some x-rays and see where this was so we can keep an eye on it and took a full set of x-rays and there is no sign anywhere of fractures. So we did find out after the fact where he was reported to have had the sesmoid fracture, but it must have healed Perfectly, because there is nothing to be seen there at all. So as far as physical limitations, he does not have any that we know of. And with his attitude, his disposition, and his just general demeanor, I can't see anything that would hold him back from basically any career. He just has, like I said, this like ideal personality, ideal build, and he's just... He was a button. So I think that he could do so many incredible things.
2: I totally agree with you. He's got that very classic bay thoroughbred look. He's 16 hands, which is a great size. And he's got a very soft eye. It's such a kind, like wise face, like almost looks yes. a little bit more like the standardbred um eye, a little bit. Some very thoughtful. Than, like, the thoroughbred. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He looks wise beyond his years.
1: Um, and I love that his name's Fishy. Like it's so yeah. cute. <laughs> he, he has the same to have face as kid. my husband's horse. He looks <laughs> like, just like my husband's horse, Shorty. He looked the same, star snip and a soft eye. So
4: yeah, ranch horse a people
1: twin? get on this one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah maybe he wants a matched set. We'll get him another one. There you go. I like, think <laughs> it'll be a built fun so surprise to go in like any
2: direction, which is really nice for him. And then I really enjoy his video. He's got nice movement. Um, I think people could have a lot of fun with them. And He is eligible for the RRP thoroughbred makeover this year. If you're still looking for your horse and you know, you are wanting to compete.
7: Yes. And he has that, like the right personality that we always say, like, you can't fit the competition to the horse, but the horse kind of needs to fit to the competition. And he would be the absolute correct type of brain for what is needed to do well in this competition in the time that you have. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Well, and
2: of course, as all new vocation horses are, just crazy fees that are just no one can even handle because he's thirty five hundred dollars. Thirty five hundred dollars gets you a can do any type of horse, great brain that in my opinion, he's like the unicorn horse coming out of new vocations personally.
7: Absolutely. yeah, you, you, you get them vet free. records, all those x-rays come with him. You get so much built in. It's like he's free. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Basically. Well, check out Fishy, aka Wild Carp Diem, at horseadoption.com. And if you know he's not the right horse, he went too fast because we know that they go quick. There's plenty of other amazing horses there. You can reach out to Leandra or if you're looking for a standard bred, Reach out to Winnie and get your applications in and they will help you find the right horse for you. Leandra, thank you so much for joining us again. I can't wait to see you at the barbecue this year. Make sure you get your tickets on their website as well. If you're planning to be there, it'd be great to see some of you and we look forward to next time.
7: You guys as well. Thanks for having me.
1: Joy, we covered a ton of ground in today's episode. I hope everyone is enjoying the interviews we're lining up and the content we're coming up with. And we have plenty more where that came from coming up in February and March. So keep it locked on Retired Racehorse Radio. You can find our show notes and links to today's guests on the website at retiredracehorseradio.com. Like us on Facebook and Instagram, just search for Retired Racehorse Radio. Follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio. You can find me on Instagram at the Horseback Writer and on Twitter at Kristen Kobach. My email is kbentley at rrp.org.
2: You can find me on Instagram at misfitmare and my email is joy at horseradionetwork.com. Thank you so much to our amazing sponsors, Kentucky Performance Products and Cashel Company and our partners, New Vocations Adoption Program and the Retired Resource Project. And don't forget to check out all the other shows on the Horse Radio Network, part of Equine Network at horseradionetwork.com. Remember to set your goals high and love to learn from every ride. And add more leg. Hi, guys.